0: Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, the City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, Do210.com, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University in San Antonio.
1: Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. The stories in this episode were recorded live at Texas Public Radio Headquarters in the Malou and Carlos Alvarez Theater and Studio. In this episode, we bring you stories about covering for a friend and uncovering truths. Our first storyteller is Clarissa Guevara. Clarissa shares a story about a makeup tutorial gone wrong and how popularity isn't all it's cracked up to be. Hello. Um, I was just a
2: Mexican girl on the border. You know, statistically, I wasn't supposed to make it. I wasn't supposed to move out of my town. I wasn't supposed to go to college nor achieve things. If you ever gone to middle school, you know how horrible it is. But <laughs> going to middle school at the border, that's horrifying. You know, I used to be severely bullied up to a point where I would want to unalive myself a couple times. So you know i i would sit in my room depressed and just kind of not wanting you know kind of socialize just i was just so sad and one of the things that just kind of was comforting to me was watching youtube videos you know um so at that time at that time uh i went ahead and started watching some beautiful white girls on the west coast city you know these gorgeous white girls that did their makeup they did everything like they went shopping they did hauls like to me I was like whoa so I would read their comments and their comments would be like oh like I want to be your friend or I wish I could hang out with you I wish you know and I wanted that like I wanted someone to you know be my friend I had nobody um so I just wanted a friend, even if it was a stranger on the internet. Don't talk to strangers. <laughs> but, um, so I I built up the courage to do a makeup um, routine, but it was actually a makeup tutorial. You see, I don't even know the words that I could title this video. So I went to Target, you know, because I, I didn't know what Ulta was. I thought Ulta was that ultra toilet paper company, you know? <laughs> So so I went to Target and I picked up my makeup. So I went home, I turned on the camera, and let me tell you, the lightning in my room was this horrible warmth color. And at Target, you have these big white fluorescent lights. You know, you can just see your beautiful skin, right? So as I'm putting on my makeup, I'm putting these eyeshadows. And everybody knows that you gotta put on your primer. That's one of the things I bought. You gotta put on your primers, before you put on anything else. So I put on this pink eyeshadow, turns out it to be hot pink. It didn't really like mix well with my skin color. And then I went ahead and put on the um, the primer and the foundation that was just very light. It looked like I was pale and I looked like a ghost, but with the hot pink eyeshadow, it just it looked like I was a clown.
3: <laughs>
2: so, um i went uh i pressed stop and i just uploaded it and i just kind of laughed at myself and i thought that's silly i'm gonna erase it i went to bed and then the next day uh, a person calls me and she tells me you know um your video i'm like what are, you, what are you talking about It's 7 a.m i'm getting ready for school like just another day of the bullying and then, like this this girl calls me and she's like yeah your video like people are talking about you and i was like what I go, on, and I go on my laptop in this video, and back then it was very popular to get a couple hundred views. So I had a couple hundred views in my, in my videos, and I thought, that's it. I'm going to be rich. I'm going <laughs> to build generational wealth here. Like, I don't have to be, you know, bullied anymore. So, you know, I was like, darn, but I still have to go to school today. So I went to school that day, and all I could hear is people just... Oh my goodness, you're that YouTuber. And uh, they wouldn't invite me to parties. But it went from, I va esa negra from across the hallway to, hey, do you wanna go to a party? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I'm like, okay, I te watcho. Like, they'll be like, I, I know what chamos. And I'm like, okay. But then my mom wouldn't, like, she wouldn't let me, you know? And I thought my mom's like, at that time, she saved me because she knew what type of people these were, you know? So I would sit at the edge of my bed just kind of thinking and I wasn't sad that my mom wouldn't let me go because you know I was used to not hanging out with anybody so I would sit at the edge of my bed just thinking like wow like I just want somebody to share secrets with I just want to connect with somebody you know so um I after that I just thought like well you know, it's not about any of this, it wasn't about the eyeshadow, so this company reaches out to me, and they told me, like, if I could promote their retainers, I'm like, okay, like, well, I don't have bad teeth, you know, but, like, I could use some whitening strips, like, hello, so I didn't, I didn't go ahead with, like, they wanted me to promote, and they would pay me, but I'm like, uh, this doesn't feel right, so I just, I just didn't, go for it so I just thought of you know well this isn't about makeup I didn't like I don't really like makeup and I don't like showing people how to do makeup because I don't know how to do it um it was I wanted to create content that just kind of connected with people that that people could relate to me and you know a couple years ago that's what I started doing and yeah that's my story
1: Our next storyteller is Donald Mason. Donald shares a story about his call to music and how some songs just need to be covered.
4: When do you know when you have talent? When somebody tells you or you discover it on your own? And what do you do with it when you find it? So, of course, I found some talent through some weird ways through my voice. Uh, Started singing in churches and found my voice dropping before I got to middle school, was the first bass in our varsity choir. <clears throat> you know, my sopranos showing right now, Tony would be proud. <sighs> but, you know, there was there's a difference between being successful with like a choir. I mean, I was on a national championship choir. I got to sing with the Backstreet Boys because Brian Littrell went to my high school because <clears throat> he wrote a song for his mom. And uh, I was on the Acousticats in college, which they got popular on the sing-off way after I was in the group. But you get this feeling that maybe I am good, but then what is it gonna take to break into the music industry? So, lo and behold, this show called American Idol. And this guy, if you can go way back into the history of American Idol, Sanjaya, see, popular. He made it to the top eight, and so, again, you don't want to put yourself on a pedestal. I was like, surely I can outsing Sanjaya, like I knew how the TV industry worked. So I go to Charleston, South Carolina, ready to sing Ain't No Sunshine. It's one of my legendary songs. They weren't hearing it. Cut. Mm. You get this wristband, and they just take a pair of scissors, boom, once the wristband's gone, you're gone. It's like one lifeline. So, that was hard to take, and there's much more to talk about about that. So, I was kind of, you know, licking my wounds, and there was another opportunity in Denver, and my sister lives in Colorado Springs, so I went to Denver. I was ready with another Saturday night, and, man, they ain't hearing Sam Cooke. Another snip. So, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to be famous. And so, I'm sitting at my desk at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, and there's this guy that rolls into the office. You know, I work with a bunch of admissions coming into the school. And this guy, his name is DeBron Thomas. I just had this vibe that this dude has to be talented in something. So we were just talking and I said, well, what's your name? He said, DeBron. I was like, what do you do? Like, tell me something that you're good at. He's like, well, I've been playing guitar since I was 14. I was like, I knew it. You can always just know. So I said, well, tell me some of your inspirations. He said, you know, Eddie Hazel and Jimi Hendrix, of course. And I told him I love Bill Withers and Stevie Wonder. So he, we found that common bond on Bill Withers. So we decided to jam in the uh, dorm room. And this dude is an absolute beast on guitar. And I'm starting to realize that's what it takes to really be talented. But I'm like, I got to get this guy in a band. So we put a band together. The band is Soul Funkin' Dangerous. After a few drinks, it changes. (laughs) (laughs) And we had to find some, some people, so we found a group, but then we have to go play a gig. So we rehearsed all the time and we walked the streets of Lexington. This is a college town, big college town, and we couldn't get a gig. I mean, I had a fro at the time and DeBron is six foot four with a guitar on his back. Like surely we're not just fronting and like imposter syndrome. So, finally, we go to Tin Roof, and they grant us a Saturday night, which I already had a song prepared for that. So, uh, a week before, anybody know Amos Lee? So, I ran into Amos Lee at his concert, and we were going to perform Street Corner Preacher and uh, Give It Up. And I told him, he probably didn't care, but I knew that I told him. So, uh, May 9th, 2009 graduated from college that day. So I was feeling good. Show up at the 10 roof, 125 people there. So you know, about how many people are here, maybe a little bit less. This is a lot of people here tonight. And so, I mean, I've handled my nerves a little bit better tonight than I did there. I was really, I was like, I'm going to, I mean, I am having stage fright before I've even performed, but you get on, the music starts playing, you get past that first song. And you just, the music just flows through. Any musician out there, anybody that's been to a concert, you kind of get that vibe. So, check mark, we made it through, played another Saturday night and Bill Withers and all this stuff. So, finally, uh, you know, all these venues were telling us, well, we can't get any more gigs because we didn't have that first gig. So, we start picking up some gigs and people start coming to our show. Our name didn't hurt. You know, what's the Soul Funk Dangerous group? And we had an elephant, a purple elephant for a logo. And so people were like, yeah. So hopefully we didn't disappoint. But I was like, okay, so now we're this cover band and, you know, we need more. So I started looking at some people that were coming into Lexington and saw Afro Man was coming into Lexington. Of course, he sang because I got high and all that stuff. But little (laughs) do you know, he plays a double neck guitar and he's actually really talented. Um, So I called Mark at Cosmic Charlie's, which is one of the, it's kind of like Paper Tiger here, and uh, we'd had the little cred, so we did get that opening gig. And so we did the show, there's like three or four hundred people at that gig. Um, I was less nervous then, because we are a little bit more confident. Afro Man rolls up with this white mink jacket, and <laughs> first few songs he kind of forgets. And I'm like, well, nobody cares because it's Afro Man on stage. So, after the show, this pile of tobacco starts piling up because he's cutting all these Swisher Sweets, trying to make you know the blunts for a post-show celebration. Of course, just like anything, Colt 45 and some zigzags were also there. Um, so, it was a lot of fun. So, then I'm like, okay, who else is coming to town? And now that we have a little bit of a reputation... Of this party funk band, uh, the Whalers were coming into town. So, if you thought Afro Man was a party, they have a religion that celebrates in the middle of the show. Like they will just like take turns and make the religious circle, and you know we all get closer to Jah, um, and then we <laughs> keep going. So, so again, you know this just fantasy of getting on stage and you know, becoming something, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Like to win a Grammy, is that really the chase? Or to open up for some notable people, like y'all have heard of Afro Man and, you know, the Whalers. We've opened up for some other people, some close calls. We played a ton of festivals. People would come up to me and say, is that really your name? I have to say that out loud. I'm like, yeah, unfortunately. Um, So, you know, this path of feeling like I was defeated, I was never gonna have an opportunity to sing, never gonna be able to perform, transforming from a choir bass because I didn't choose to go down the opera path, finding DeBron and making Soul Funkin' dangerous, and uh, now people ask me if I'll ever bring back the Purple Elephant, well, just like Hamilton, just you wait.
1: Our next storyteller Sophia Signs. Sophia shares a story about a forced audition and how we will do almost anything for a friend.
3: So it was July of 2013 and I randomly got an email from NBC letting me know that there was going to be a casting call for The Voice in Austin. I don't sing, but my best friend at the time and my girlfriend now has always sung. She sang in backyard parties and graduations and had talked about doing music for a long time, but had never done anything yet. So I forwarded her the email in hopes that it would light a fire under her and get her to audition. Almost immediately, I got a call from her. Absolutely not. I can't do this. I don't know what song I would sing. I, I can't do it. So after talking to her for a little while, calming her down, stroking her ego a little bit, (laughs) she finally agreed and she said, I'll only do it if you come with me. I said, okay, not a big deal, right? Just a trip to Austin and some moral support before and after the show. It turns out that's not what she was asking me. So the casting call was being held at the convention center in Austin, and nobody could go in or out of the convention center unless you had a badge and you were actually auditioning. So what she was asking me to do was to sign up to audition for The Voice with her (laughs) so, (laughs) so that I could hold her hand through the whole process all the way up until she had to sing. I knew that I was never actually going to sing in front of any of these people, so I said, sure, why not? So we loaded up in her Ford Explorer and drove to Austin for the audition. And when we got to the convention center, it felt like there were thousands of people already crowding the area. We made it through all of the lines for check-in and security, name badges. And then they corral us all into this huge room of hopeful singers. There's people on the walls practicing singing. They've got papers in hand. And there's rows and rows and rows of people just waiting for their shot. So they're taking each row back into this other smaller room, and that's where the auditions are actually happening. And so we're waiting and waiting for about three hours. (laughs) And then we get to the three-hour mark, and I notice that our row is about to stand up. So this is where I had to explain to Claudia that my journey at The Voice was coming to an end. (laughs) There were a lot of protest and probably some tears, but I gave her my best hype man speech and I said, you've got this. So I headed back to the car to refill the parking meter and I maintained that when I got to the car that parking meter still had time on it, but we also definitely had a ticket on our car. That should have been some foreshadowing for me for the rest of the day's events, but at this point, I had no idea what was to come. So I cursed at the parking meter and walked back to the convention center to people watch and wait for her to come out. As soon as she came out of the audition, I saw her face, and immediately I knew it did not go well. (laughs) She said, I did horribly. I don't want to be here. I just want to get out of here and pretend like this didn't happen. Let's go have a good time. We had tickets to the roller derby that night and that's what I was there for, so I said, all right, let's go. (laughs) So we walked out of the convention center and if you had seen us, you would have thought that she made it to the next round and was gonna be on TV. That's how happy we were walking out of that convention center. Skipping with our parking ticket in hand, we got back to the car, Clarissa puts the key in the ignition and the car won't start. The battery is dead in downtown Austin on a Saturday with more than usual traffic on a one-way street and we have no jumper cables. So frantically, we start Googling AAA-like services because, of course, neither of us have AAA. Between us, we probably had a couple hundred dollars because we were in our 20s. So we find this guy on Facebook that's a mobile mechanic and he'll come out to the car and charge the battery for us. He was pretty affordable, so we said, okay. The guy gets there and he hooks up the battery to his little machine and he starts charging it and he's charging and charging and charging and the battery just will not stay on. So he starts explaining to us what feels like the absolute worst case scenario, you need an entirely new battery. So he tells us if you get a new battery, I can switch it out for you no problem. And he starts explaining to Claudia said that there's an auto zone about a mile and a half to two miles away. He says, I can charge it up just enough. If you go fast and don't stop, <laughs> we, can get, we can get there. So we're like, okay. <laughs> we jump in the car and we're hauling down the road past this guy or following this guy and we're on South Congress in Austin and intersection away from the auto zone, I can see the auto zone, (laughs) and all of a sudden, in the middle of South Congress, the car dies. So immediately, the guy that we'd been following pulls off into a parking lot and comes to help us try to push us off the road. At that point, somebody else off of the street had already come to our aid and was trying to help us get into a parking lot. Clarissa finally steers it into the Wells Fargo parking lot, and by the time we got out of the car, the mystery man off the street wasn't even around. We never even got to thank that man for helping us get off of the street, because he was gone by the time we opened the doors. Uh, but the mechanic is like, look, the AutoZone is right here. If you just want to get in the back of my car, I'll take you the rest of the way. We'll get the battery changed out, no problem. At this point, we were desperate enough to get in the man's car, so we got in the back seat, and we get to the AutoZone. Luckily, they had the battery because, of course, we didn't call ahead. Uh, we got the battery, changed out, and we are just eternally grateful to this man. All of the worst-case scenarios are popping in our head. We could have been stuck in Austin with a tow truck and a rental car and all sorts of hundreds of dollars that we didn't have. So we try to offer the man more money for his time and his effort, and he tells us, don't worry about it, just pay it forward. So because of that mechanic and the mystery man on the street, we ended up making it to the roller derby on time. (laughs) Then we paid it forward once we got to 6th Street and bought everybody shots. (laughs) (laughs) And even though the voice didn't work out for Clarissa, a year later, she was playing in cover bands all over San Antonio and even opened up for Sean Paul at Oysterbake a few years ago. So she is doing music now and is officially a musician.
1: <laughs> Our last storyteller is Davy Jackson. Davy shares a story about why you should never order shots called The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse.
0: So, five homeschooled guys walk into a bar. That's it. That's the whole joke. No, no. But I'm going to tell you the story of how I had to invent a cover story to save my best friend's wedding. Uh, Carl was my childhood best friend. Uh, we met in homeschool group. We were both homeschooled. Um, yeah, I helped him with his Eagle Scout project. Just a lot of real homeschooly stuff. Uh, but Carl was getting married. He was the first one in our friend group to get married, and uh, it was the night before his wedding, and we knew that we had to send Carl off in style. So we decided that we were going to have an epic bachelor party night, me and four other homeschool dudes. Um, Yeah. So uh, we all pile into the minivan uh, and (laughs) head off to the bar. Uh, Quick side note about this particular minivan. My sweet, sweet mother found out that we were gonna go out for a night on the town, and recommended that we borrow her friend's minivan for the trip. And homeschool guys love a minivan, we absolutely love it, it's our favorite thing. We're sluts for minivans, you know? (laughs) So we get in the minivan and we head to the bar. We get to the first bar of the evening, Uh, we pile out of the minivan, we walk into the bar and this place is jumping, y'all. The music was pounding, people were dancing and getting drunk and we looked so out of place. So out of place. Most of us had our shirt tucked into our jeans. One guy was wearing homemade pants. Um, We we were lost. We were very, very lost. And we didn't know what to do. Most people our age had gotten to experience the party life in high school. That's where they started drinking. That's where they started partying. But we were homeschooled. uh, And we were 22 years old at this time. Uh, We had no idea what to do, so my idea was, well, let's go talk to the bartender and explain the situation to him, (laughs) and surely he'll point us in the right direction. So we go up to the bartender, we explain that we we are here for a party, right? What should we do? We've heard shots are good, maybe we could start with some shots, and he agreed with us and recommended a four horseman shot. Uh... Now, if you don't know what's in a Four horseman it's four different liquors. Jim Beam, Jameson, Jack Daniels, and Johnny Walker. It is a nightmare in a shot glass. And that's what he recommended. Now, up until this point, my only experience drinking was with Carl when he turned 21. And we went to the liquor store. He went inside. I had to wait in the car because I wasn't old enough yet. Uh, and he bought us... A 12-pack of Smirnoff ice, mm-hmm, Yeah. which we took to the lake and got drunk in a canoe, which in retrospect is kind of weird, um, but that was the only experience we had, and we have a bartender recommending these shots, and so of course we agree, and uh, we do a round of four horsemen. Now once again, zero experience drinking, so we decide let's just keep it going with these, might as well. And so about an hour later, we are just an absolute mess. Uh, I don't even know how many shots we had. I had at least eight or nine. Um, They were small drinks. I thought, yeah, this is fine. At this point, Carl is crying. Uh... Not sad tears, happy tears, because he was getting married and he was excited about getting married. Also, he was a virgin and had been saving himself for marriage. So I think he was also a little excited about the sex and maybe a little nervous. Um, But we decided it's time to get Carl out of here, right? So we leave the bar, we pile back into the minivan, and we head home. And on the drive back, about an hour long drive, uh, halfway through, uh, a couple guys in the car start not feeling great. uh, And Carl felt the worst. He was, you know, the bachelor. And so we had to make sure that he had the best time. So he did the most shots, of course. Um, And he starts feeling sick and saying, guys, I I think I might be sick. So we hand him a plastic trash bag, uh, which we had on deck because it's a homeschool minivan. um, (laughs) And just tell Carl, if you're going to get sick, just do it in the plastic trash bag. Pretty clear instructions. Uh, (laughs) Carl did get sick uh, quite a few times. Uh, completely missed the trash bag and ended up throwing up all over himself in the floor of the minivan. So at this point, obviously, we've got to pull the minivan over. Um, we open the door to get Carl out so he can you know, throw up with dignity. Um, but Carl immediately takes his pants off for some reason and goes on a little excursion on the side of the highway. Uh, he was a mess. He was alternating between throwing up and laying down in the grass. And kept telling us to just leave him there. Um, But if you know anything about homeschoolers, it's no man left behind. Uh, We finally got Carl back into the minivan and we got home. And of course, at this point, we've got to figure out how to clean up this minivan because it was a disaster on the inside. Uh, So we cleaned it up as best we could. But I don't know if y'all are aware of whiskey throw up. It's pretty persistent. Um, It's hard to get out. We went to return the minivan the next morning, a few hours before the wedding, and my sweet mom, the first thing she noticed was the smell uh, and demanded an answer. I had to think quick, obviously, and so I explained to her that on the way home from the bachelor party, uh, the group was feeling a little hungry, so we stopped by Sonic and got chili cheese dogs. uh, And someone must have spilled a chili cheese dog in the minivan, and that was definitely what the smell was. She wasn't buying it. So she looped in the groom's mom. So now it's two moms against me demanding to know, why does this car smell like hot vomit? I stuck by the story, though, y'all. Chili cheese dog till I die. (laughs) And I never, ever told my mom the truth. Uh, And so I'm really hoping she doesn't watch this. As a matter of fact, if y'all could please block her from the TPR channel. <laughs> and if she does see this, Mom, I'm sorry, and I love you so much. Um, Carl did end up getting married. Uh, he made it to the wedding. The day was saved, uh, but he threw up at least five times in the bushes right outside the wedding chapel before the ceremony. Yeah. And he never had another four horsemen shot after that. Quite a few smeared off ice, though. He definitely... <laughs> definitely kept going with that thank you all so much I'm Davey Jackson
1: that's it for part one of the worth repeating podcast covers tune in next week for part two worth repeating returns on April 11th and it's the last one of the season the theme is como seven storytellers will share their most confusing moments language barriers and other stories of things that get lost in translation you can get ticketing information by visiting tpr.org WR or consider joining the Volunteer Storyboard. Stories matter and we need your support. If you're interested in becoming a Volunteer Storyboard member and helping shape programs like these, visit tpr.org WR and apply today. Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, Do210.com, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University at San Antonio. Worth repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Tori Poole. Thanks for listening.